Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump tells James Comey to throw journalists in prison. Lock him up. <clears throat> Lock him up. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Wednesday, May 17. Here we go. Off to the races, otherwise known as the uh, Bill Press Show. <laughs> Great to see you today, and thank you for joining us. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, which is a city under siege, it seems, beset from and just bouncing from, or reeling, I should say, from one crisis to another. Uh, Every one of those crises emanating from the Trump White House, which uh, cannot get its act together at all. And it's become a routine right now, about about 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, every single day, either the Washington Post or the New York Times drops another bombshell onto the political landscape, which sets the White House back yet again and puts them into defensive mode, and uh, and they just start sputtering their lies, which they will contradict the next day, and you never know what their story really is. It happened again yesterday with word about the James Comey memo and Donald Trump telling James Comey, come on, shut this baby down. Don't go after Michael Flynn. Go after journalists instead. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Lots to talk about, obviously. Let's hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show, about what this latest in the uh, whole Trump-Comey controversy means. Again, on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll get right to the news of the day, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a little bit of stories, making news. Bill, you're in Union Station often here in Washington, D.C., yeah, the train yeah. station. Yeah. Well, Monday night... Love it. Pastors were in for a little bit of a surprise. Uh-oh. They have the big screens there that show ads. This is so great. That are up in Union Station, right? Like a big TV screen. They show the different ads. They sell advertising on it. Well, somebody <coughs> put pornography on there. Damn, how'd they miss that? <laughs> somebody was streaming videos from the website Pornhub and just showing them on the video screens they hacked into the at union station they are investigating a possible <laughs> hacking because they they're not they have no idea how this happened by the huh. way the incident was caught by somebody uh who was traveling got it on their cell phone and posted on social media it's since been taken down but the very large digital street screen inside the main hall uh was showing 
very graphic, sexually explicit videos. You know, they call Union Station a transportation hub. Mm-hmm. Might as well now call it a porn hub. <laughs> porn hub. <laughs> I love that Like they were saying that people were stopping and watching. There were people who were, saw it from afar and screaming, oh, my God, what is that? <laughs> it really took everybody by surprise. Uh, one person actually said, quote, I was pretty speechless. I couldn't believe this was happening in public, and especially during rush hour, end quote, said a woman who did not want to give her name because she did not want an article about porn to come up when people Google her. <laughs> she is smart. Very smart. This is yeah. the world we live in now. Well, I'll be at the initiation of our morning, so uh, <laughs> word to all hackers. Uh, I'm probably catching the uh, 10 o'clock Acela to New York, so um, <laughs> I hope you make my uh, my train ride a little more interesting. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, or waiting Won't for be such train. a hard commute. Yeah. Well, I All right, mean, here yeah. in Washington, D.C., you say you can't get anything done, right? Yeah. We're deadlocked, gridlocked, can't get anything done. Damn it, we got something done. The ducklings that like to wade in the Capitol reflecting pool just in front of the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. The ducks have a hard time because there's that little lip, right, that you got to get over to get into the reflecting pool. Well, the architect of the Capitol has installed a duck ramp. A ramp, a little ramp, it just goes in the corner of like one of the areas of the reflecting yeah, pool. Yeah. Just for the ducks to walk up, get up yeah. to the edge, and just drop into the reflecting pool so that they don't have to worry about uh, not getting in there to get their little bath. By the way, Congressman Mark Walker, a Republican from North Carolina, decried this ramp <laughs> on Twitter, calling it government waste. Of course. Mark Walker, you are a piece of you-know-what. Yeah, that's yeah, right. petty. This petty, is, petty, petty. This is like the things they did at the ADA on the curbs so people in wheelchairs can get down the curb. Yeah. To make it easier for them. For ducks. Make it easier for ducks. Yeah. I like that. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, May 17. Great to see you today, and uh, it is a pleasure to welcome you to the Bill Press Show. In the next couple of hours, we're going to be tackling all the big stories of the day, and as there has been every day this week, (laughs) kind of just one story that dominates everything else, uh, and it's the latest uh, from uh, from the uh, Trump White House. Uh, a story that the New York Times broke late yesterday afternoon that uh, Donald Trump, back in February, the day after he fired Michael Flynn, has a meeting with national security agents in the White House in the Oval Office. He asks all the rest of them to leave, including Vice President Mike Pence and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and asks James Comey to stay behind for a little meeting. And now it is the Comey memo that has overtaken all the rest of the news of the day. Uh, no, it's not that the <laughs> Russian leak is over. It's just that still there's a lot of news about that yesterday, too, as now the latest is back to the Comey firing and the Comey memo. Oh, my God. Coming to you live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good to see you on this Wednesday. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV, joining you on the great WCPT out in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. Uh, and don't forget, check out Patreon, patreon.com. You can subscribe there for just a little bit of money a month, and we'll be putting up exclusive commentary, c- columns, you know, all kinds of stuff, and, vid- and videos. Yesterday, 
uh, posted. Um, Peter, you can tell us about it. a little I, thing with Rep we're, Bernie's. We're working on something very, very cool. Uh, we're going to do a podcast <laughs> called "The Making of Bernie Sanders." Yep. Uh, for the, we're, we're making the prog- making the making of. We're it's, in the process of making a, it right now. We're work producing in progress. It right now. We're talking to a lot of people inside Bernie's uh, inner circle. For those of you who don't know, the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign was essentially launched in your house bill read the new book shattered it's a whole tells the whole story about how it got started and in so our living room we've sat down with the carol's beef stew we, <laughs> or beef bourguignon <laughs> thank you we've sat down with a couple of bernie insiders we put up a little sneak peek <laughs> yesterday of uh, tad divine i'll know tad divine one of his chief strategists yep. and uh he talks specifically in this preview clip about Iowa and what happened in Iowa, and it's really fascinating. And there's some really great stuff we're getting out of uh, this. So the full podcast, we're still working on it. It's going to go up probably in a couple of weeks, but you can get a little sneak peek right now. How do you do it? Go go to to patreon.com slash bpshow. Uh, $5 a month is what we're asking you to contribute so that we could do cool new stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, So give us $5 a month. You can have it. You're on. Part of the team. So let's start with the Comey memo. Yes, as reported by the uh, New York Times. And again, we are seeing, I believe, the best investigative journalism, particularly on the part of the New York Times, pardon me, and the Washington Post. In fact, David Farenthold, who won the Pulitzer Prize for the Washington Post, is in with us in studio tomorrow for the reporting that he did, particularly on uh, Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago, and the charities, which he never gave any money to, even though he bragged about giving so much money uh, to charity, particularly to the veterans. It was David Farrell who reported that Donald Trump had given an absolute great big fat zero goose egg. Um, but back to investigative reporting, another sign of it yesterday afternoon when the latest on the James Comey flap uh, fired, of course, last Tuesday uh, as director of the FBI by Donald Trump. Now, so let's put this uh, memo uh, in in context. Remember, the official explanation that we were given uh, for the firing of James Comey was that uh, it's worth remembering because this is the way the White House operates. They just lie, lie, lie. They get caught, then they change their story. So the, we originally told, and I was down there at the White House, that uh, Donald Trump, uh, this wasn't his idea, that uh, the deputy attorney, uh, the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, and Rod Rosenstein, Rosenstein, sorry, uh, the deputy attorney general, came to the Oval Office on Monday, Monday a week ago, uh, and told Donald Trump, well, we got some problems with James Comey. This guy has really violated all kinds of rules at the Department of Justice. we got to be fired. Donald Trump, the story goes, said, hey, go back and put it in writing. Come back and see me tomorrow. He comes back. They come back Tuesday morning. They point out that in the handling of the Hillary Clinton emails, both in the original thing in July when he said there was nothing, Comey said she didn't do anything illegal, but she was reckless and careless. And then uh, later in Oct- on October 28, when he reopened the investigation, that Comey um, didn't observe, ob- observe proper protocol at the Department of Justice. In other words, and he was too mean to Hillary Clinton, so therefore he ought to be fired. That's what they said at first. Uh, the very next day... <laughs> Uh, the press secretary deputy, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, told us at the White House, uh, no, that wasn't really true. Donald Trump wanted to fire him from day one. And then Donald Trump himself says, yeah, I fired him because I didn't like that Russian thing, is what he called it, the Russian thing. Uh, and he said uh, Comey was a showboat. He was just grandstanding. He didn't like him. And so he wanted him out of there because 
because basically admitting he wanted to shut down the Russian investigation, the investigation into possible collusion between the Trump team and Russian officials. So Trump contradicted, himself contradicted, what he had told aides to call the media. So then we find out uh, a couple of days ago that uh, Trump had actually asked uh, James Comey uh, if he invited him to dinner at the White House. And over dinner, he said, I want to know if you will be loyal to me, loyal to me only. Uh, will you take, basically, will you take a loyalty test? Yeah, I guess they took a, well, don't, Trump doesn't drink. I was going to say he had a glass of wine. He said, let's toast to loyalty or something. Oh, I would but anyway, Comey uh, would not do it. He said he would be loyal to the truth, loyal to the law, loyal to the Constitution. He wasn't going to take this loyalty oath to the president of the United States. That's not his job. Now, the, the New York Times report and the Comey memo. The day after Donald Trump fires Michael Flynn again, he's got this meeting of national security officials. He, when that's over, he asks them all to leave. He even asked the vice president to leave and the attorney general to leave. It's just him and Comey. And Comey, and, and this conversation took place, Comey goes back to his office and very wisely makes notes, two handwritten, two page, uh, two or three pages, uh, according to the New York Times, of notes about that conversation with the president of the United States because Comey knew that this conversation might come up again and and Trump might actually talk about it. So he wanted to, be, while his memory was fresh, put it on paper, which he did. He showed it to a couple of senior officials at the FBI, a couple of close associates, a couple of whom have now talked to the New York Times. He did not show it to the agents who were working on the FBI investigation because he didn't want them to know what had happened. What happened at that meeting was Donald Trump says, look, Michael Flynn is a good guy. He's a good guy. I hope you can drop this thing. I hope you can find a way to drop this thing. Asking James Comey to drop the investigation into possible collusion by Michael Flynn with the Russians. Michael Flynn, whom he had just fired because he lied to the vice president about his conversations with the Russian ambassador. President of the United States asking the FBI director to drop the investigation and instead to go after reporters who had reported on these leaks, to go after journalists and to throw them in prison. There are three words for that. Three words. Obstruction of justice. That's what it is. Jeffrey Tubin said that on CNN yesterday. He is absolutely right. Obstruction of justice. That's exactly what it is. This you talk about Nixonian. Uh, this is uh, when I read that. This is this is an impeachable offense. When I read I that, that yeah. that is the first time that I thought to myself, this could actually get him. Yeah. Because like yeah. I, he's he's turned you know evading uh, consequences into an art form. Donald Trump, not just as president, but before this, right? Like he walked away from failed businesses and uh, dodgy dealings with a slap on the wrist. But this is not mm. light. This is a very big deal 
Yeah. I don't is. know. It, it, it all Again, as you've pointed out, it all depends on whether or not the Republicans will get on board and do something about it. But obstruction of justice for the president of the United States, this is worse than anything so we've ever seen. He and his team, since Watergate. Since Watergate. He and his team are under investigation. He calls in the guy who works for him, who's leading the investigation, but who is supposed to be the independent director of the FBI and asks him to drop the investigation because my buddy Michael Flynn is a good guy. And, of course, the subcontext here is, and I want this investigation to go away because it could prove embarrassing to me. So go after journalists instead. The reaction to this has been swift and it's been pretty strong, even among Republicans. Um, Adam Schiff, ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, boy, this means we got to bring Comey back and hear from him. We know enough now. There's been enough alleged publicly uh, to want to bring the director back to testify, ideally in open session, either before our committee or the Judiciary Committee, but he should come back to the Congress. Even Jason Chaffetz, the head of the House Oversight Committee, who now is not going to run for re-election, who's been criticized, widely criticized, and rightfully so, <laughs> yeah. because he made a full-time job of investigating Hillary uh, during the campaign, and yet he hasn't done one damn thing about all the uh, problems and conflicts arising out of the Trump White House. Yesterday, he finally got a, grew a set of balls. And, and said, um, the sound here, bear, bear with us, is not that great. But he's got subpoena power, and he did say he would subpoena to get a copy of uh, tapes, if they exist, and a copy of this memo to get to the truth, Jason Chaffetz. I want to read the memo first, but on the surface, that seems like an extraordinary um, use of influence to try to shut down an investigation being done by the FBI. I, I, I don't know if it's true yet, but I want to find out if that's actually out there. He, gotta find out. Gotta find out. Have to have to have to get him in. He tweeted the GOP oversight is going to get the Comey memo if it exists. I need to see it sooner rather than later. I have my subpoena pen ready. Subpoena yep. pen ready. Subpoena, subpoena pen, pen ready. Assume ready. subpoena pen that, ready. Right. Uh, Lindsey Graham, who's been very, very critical uh, across the board of, uh, of Donald Trump uh, and on this whole Comey matter, again saying, uh, got to get Comey in. If Mr. Comey is alleging the president did something inappropriate, it's open invitation to the judiciary committee to tell us about it. Open invitation, uh, also echoed by Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut, and he uses the obstruction word. What you're seeing, Lawrence, is actually an obstruction of justice case unfolding in real time. There to Lawrence O'Donnell last night on MSNBC, also on MSNBC, Chris Hayes asking uh, Dick Durbin of uh, Illinois if that's what we're looking at. Is it obstruction of justice plainly? Well, it's as close as one can get to have the president of the United States contact the lead in an investigation by the federal government into criminal activity and to ask them to let up, go slow, absolve someone from the investigation. That's as close as you can get to the real thing. Yeah, because there's no doubt that what Donald Trump was trying to do was to impede this investigation, trying to obstruct 
this investigation, trying to end this investigation, which was underway by the FBI as part of the Justice Department. Uh, and no matter whom they were investigating, I mean, it, it's, it is obstruction of justice. It's even worse when the person who's being investigated is the man who's the president of the United States asking the FBI director to drop it. So uh, let me tell you something. Donald Trump clearly didn't think through the consequences of firing James Comey. He may be the president of, he is the president of the United States, but I believe Comey's going to have the last laugh here and have the last word. Uh, and Comey, whom I was no fan of, for because of his interference in the electoral process uh, improperly, I believe, Comey is starting to come across like a hero. Yeah. Yeah. And in this matter, I got to tell you, the white hat is James Comey, the black hat is Donald Trump, and the white hat always wins. Yeah. Eventually. Look, I mean. And, and this didn't take long. No, no. You know, this is, We're barely over 100 days. Normally, this might have taken like you know, maybe 10 years, right, when this fine, the whole thing unravels. Uh-uh. Not with this White House. James Comey, who, again, we have talked about being a inept uh, on plenty of occasions. Total. But, like, look, the guy didn't just fall into the FBI director position, right? Like, there's something there. And if nothing else, I believe he kept thorough notes and would have absolutely seen that Donald Trump presents a very serious threat to democracy yeah. and to the presidency. Right. So Trump may I'm have— I'm sure he sees that. Trump may have the tapes, but Comey's got the memo. Yeah. And we're going to see that memo. Uh, and and uh, that could—again, that could be the—I think— it could very well be what we're looking at could very well be the beginning of the end of Donald Trump. Uh, but one other plank in the beginning of the end of Donald Trump. Let's not get too far away with it from it because it dominated the press briefing at the White House yesterday uh, with H.R. McMaster's director of uh, secretary of Homeland Security is the the famous Russian leak, which occurred last Wednesday uh, the day <laughs> this happens so fast. The day after he fires Comey, when Donald Trump, of course, summons the not summons welcomed the Russian ambassador, Mr. Lavrov, to the Oval Office, who brings along with him, of course, the Russian ambassador to the United States, Sergei Kislyak, the guy that got everybody in trouble in the first place. By talking and meeting with Michael Flynn, talking sanctions, meeting with Jeff Sessions, meeting with Jason uh, um, uh, Kush Jared Kushner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, by the way, Kislyak was not on the official schedule either. He wasn't listed. It was a meeting with Lavrov, and, and, and Kislyak was there, which we found out, remember, because no American journalists were allowed in the room, only the Russian Photographer, the official Russian photographer, the Kremlin was there, and he's the one that took all those photos of the meeting. And it was at that meeting that Donald Trump gave to the Russians secret, shared with them secret intelligence that we had received from one of our allies, unnamed at the time. Uh, but the, 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 Trump told the Russians, we picked up this information about a, a terrorist plot that ISIS was working on, and we picked it up inside of Syria, and we picked it up in this certain city inside of Syria, uh, sharing top-secret intelligence information that we had received, again, from one of our allies. 
which had, was considered so sensitive, we didn't share it with any of the rest of our allies. We didn't even share it with everybody in the United States government who gets intelligence briefings. It was so sensitive. And here Donald Trump is giving it to the Russians, who, of course, turn around right away and give it to Syria and give it to Iran. And we found out yesterday that the country that Donald Trump thereby stabbed in the back was none other than Israel, which has notably one of the best intelligence sources or uh, systems, uh, if not the best in the world, one of the best, certainly. And they help us with a lot of intelligence that they dig up on the condition that we don't tell anybody and don't tell them where we got it and don't, don't tell them what we've got. And Donald Trump just spilled the beans to the Russians of all people. So at first, the story from the White House was, no, this didn't happen. This report from the Washington Post, they're the, first, they're the ones who reported this first, was false. Dina Powell came out, top foreign policy advisor, said it's false. H.R. McMaster's came out said it's on Monday, said it's false. Uh, well, yesterday they changed their story again. No, this time they said, now they're saying, no, it's not false, but the president had every right to do it. And in fact, it was Donald Trump himself, as you reported yesterday morning, Peter, who tweeted out, I, had a, I felt that I wanted to share something with them and I have every right to share that information. And at the press briefing yesterday with H.R. McMaster's, a special press briefing where he was at the podium, he says, yes, it was. Here's the phrase he used over and over and over again. It was our impression of all of us that were in the meetings, I've mentioned already, that, that what was shared was wholly appropriate given the purpose of that conversation and the purpose of, of, uh, of what the president was trying to achieve uh, through that meeting. Wholly appropriate, he says. Wholly appropriate. Wholly, wholly Wholly appropriate. There's no way it's wholly appropriate to share our most, the highest, highest, top secret intelligence we've got with a foreign adversary and to do it in the Oval Office and to do it without any forethought, without any preparation, without any planning. The two things that I thought were striking yesterday, listening to McMaster's uh, defend this. Number one, he said that Donald, this was not something they planned ahead of time, that Donald Trump did this on the spur of the moment. He was just talking and in, and in, in, in blabbing and in bragging, he just spills the whole beans. So that's how much preparation Donald Trump puts into a meeting like this, right? He didn't consult with Tillerson or with McMasters. None of them knew what he was about to do. And suddenly he's blabbing away and they hear him reveal all these secrets to the Russians, number one. And number two, McMasters, well, here, here's McMasters where did, did Donald Trump even know where this information came from? The president wasn't even aware you know, of where this information came from. He wasn't briefed on the source or method of the information either. It's an Imagine. awfully serious thing to laugh about. Yeah. yeah. But why is this so funny to him? But you know, where... Yeah. <laughs> but imagine, here's the president of the United States sharing again this top secret intelligence with the Russians of all people, and he doesn't even, according to McMaster's, he doesn't even know where it came from. Now, the president wasn't even aware you know, of where... And by the way, that was the very last thing McMaster said yesterday after about 45 minutes. 
And I thought, my God, my God, that's the lead. He buried the lead. Uh, well, the, if you read the Washington Post report on this, uh, on this, this, this whole leak, um, the part of the problem is just that. Remember, Donald Trump said so. The intelligence. Let me back. The intelligence agencies prepare these detailed briefings for the president and for meetings like this. Donald Trump has said, this is a guy, remember, during the camp, right after he was elected, who said he didn't need intelligence briefings because he knows it all. He did not need the daily intelligence briefings. So now at the White House, the way it works, reported by the Washington Post, is that Donald Trump says, don't give me these, don't give me these five-page memos. I want it one-page bullet points. And then... This is according to people who work with him in the Oval Office. He doesn't even read the bullet points. So clearly, he went into this meeting totally unprepared, just winging it, winging it, shooting from the lip, uh, and spills the beans here to the, to the Russians. And again, what, you know, enough is enough We're so at, at some point. We are so, yeah. That's we're so screwed. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, just one final point on this. This happens now on the eve and on the verge of Donald Trump heading off on his first foreign trip. Uh, you know, I remember, as I recall, both George Bush and Barack Obama did for their first foreign trip. It's a big deal to take the president out of the country. Sure. Right? Yeah, a lot of, you know, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. I, as I recall, Obama went up to Canada. I think, like up and back. And Bush might have gone to Mexico and back or something like that. No, Donald Trump is going off on a nine-day foreign trip. And he's going to Saudi Arabia. He's going right into the hornet's nest. He's going to Israel. That's going to be a little tense now. And now that he destroyed and revealed who's behind, revealed who was behind this leak, and certainly destroyed that intelligence operation inside of Syria and exposed it, uh, that that can't make the Israelis very happy. I mean, how can they trust us? How can they trust him again with any information? He goes to Israel. He goes to the, uh, to the uh, Palestinian territory. Uh, and then he's going off to NATO, whom he's campaigned on ending and pulling the United States out of NATO, and it still continues to attack NATO partners. I mean, it is this trip is so fraught with peril. And then in Saudi Arabia, he's going to give a speech to a group of Muslims about Islam. He, he, Donald Trump, who campaigned on and has tried twice to prevent any Muslim from entering the United States, period, any Muslim, he's going to give a speech on Islam in front of a group of Muslims. I'm telling you, this thing, it, 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 it is just a ticking time bomb. By the way, uh, just for the record, Barack Obama's first international yeah. trip was Canada. Uh, the second one was the United Kingdom. His third trip, he went to France and Germany. George W. Bush, his first trip was Mexico, a one-day oh, trip. I got it right. Yeah, you, you nailed it. And his Canada. second trip yeah. was Canada. 
Yeah. Uh, and then his third trip was Spain and Belgium. So my point Sweden, is they, Poland, Sweden, in both Italy, of those yeah. presidents, they tried they, – they did a trial run. Yeah. A one-day run. Those are easy. You know, just to you know work it out, right? And da, 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 the travel and the Secret Service and all the <coughs> – right? No. Donald Trump's going for nine days. It is – I'm telling you, it's going to be a disaster. Uh, and so and, – And he's going to be giving a, a, apparently a major speech on Islam. On Islam. Yeah. Like, in Saudi Arabia. The man. That should scare the hell out of people who work on President Trump. The man Trump's who team. appointed as his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who said that Islam is a fake religion and a violent religion. And he's going, he, Donald Trump, now is going to give the speech on Islam. Oh, my God. So Good luck. There you go. That's Check the, the locks on your bunkers. Seriously, yeah, y'all. Man, I was going to tell you. Uh, let's go more into it with Donald Trump and Is This Obstruction of Justice? Ryan Riley, senior justice reporter for HuffPost, here in studio with us in the next half hour after a quick break. Stay with us. The country is being tested in unprecedented ways. I say to all of my colleagues in the Senate, history is watching. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Make it a Wednesday, uh, May 17, uh, The Bill Press Show. Here we are, coast to coast, coming to you live from our nation's capital on our studio on uh, in Washington, D.C. Brother, brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, those good men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. Uh, making a difference, a big difference uh, in uh, uh, building a better America every day. And you can check out all of their good work at their website, teamster.org. Uh, yes, indeed, Susan Collins, uh, Senator from Maine, the other day saying, can we have maybe just one day without a crisis? Uh, doesn't look that way. Not, so. not in the Trump White House. Uh, and yet the latest uh, is a, word broken by the, a story broken by the New York Times yesterday afternoon uh, that uh, Donald Trump called James Comey into the uh, ask him to hang around after a meeting in the Oval Office and ask him to drop the investigation into possible collusion between Michael Flynn certainly and Russian officials. Ryan Riley, senior justice reporter for HuffPost, joins us in studio. Ryan, a good Wednesday to you. Thanks good for Wednesday coming you. in. Sure, thanks for having me. So, um, is this? Obstruction of justice? Um, good question. Uh, <laughs> the problem here is like who's going to prosecute that? Is the I mean, is the real issue here that I mean, if this was a different administration in place and this was a normal person and this was not the president of the United States, then I mean, probably yes, right? But I mean, you know, obviously he wouldn't have had that role to be able to play and try to interfere in the investigation if he wasn't president. So it's this delicate sort of situation. Um, but I but mean, uh, I among- guess what is what is? Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to nail you down to what is the definition, <laughs> I guess. But but I mean, what we understand as obstruction of justice, there's an ongoing investigation mm-hmm. or, or an ongoing probe, uh, and somebody tries to shut it down, yeah. right? Tries to stop it. Yeah. Now, isn't that what Donald Trump did? 
based on the language that he used, he certainly danced very close to that line, I would and, say. And based on, again, all this is based on Comey's memo, which right. none of us have seen. Right. But, which but a, one of people, many memos, apparently. He's, apparently, the reporting right. was that he basically recorded every conversation he had. And uh, if you look back at For the... Every, uh, right. Made notes of made every notes conversation. Of it. Yeah, yeah, not right. recorded, yeah. And um, one of his associates uh, actually read from the memo... To New York Times reporters. Correct. Yeah, I'd imagine we'd be seeing that at some point. That memo will certainly emerge. Uh, yeah, and this is sort of a probably habit. this afternoon around five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is sort of a, a habit of uh, of Comey's. He sort of whenever there's a situation that sort of got a little dicey like that, he would make a habit of of sort of writing it down. And that's something that happened, you know, way back in you know 2007 when he was Deputy Attorney General. Even in that role, he was still making a habit of sort of you know. Make, writing this memo to file and just saying this is what's happening. But yeah. the defense from the White House is very strange, I find. I mean, all of the defenses are generally strange. But essentially, it, they're either s- suggesting that Comey made this memo up afterwards, or which is on the one hand, or on the other hand, they're suggesting that he basically lied in a memo long before he got fired and before we could have known what situation we're in now, which just wouldn't make any sense. Like if he contemporaneously wrote a memo that falsely – recorded a conversation that there why would he do that there just doesn't seem to be any reason for that there so right. it, the de, the defense that you know the white house is coming up with right now isn't going to last well, probably but again that, than we know that that's a pattern take the take the uh, the russian leak right the first defense was false story false right. everything about that was false right the next day is i had a right to share that information right which is the exact opposite of what they said the first day, right? right. Now they're defending it. And McMaster's yesterday was there, uh, is is saying it was wholly appropriate for him right. to do so. On the question of obstruction of justice, Dick Durbin was asked uh, was on with Chris Hayes on MSNBC last night, uh, and I think reflects where you're coming from. Is it obstruction of justice plainly? Well, it's as close as one can get to have the president of the United States contact the lead in an investigation by the federal government into criminal activity and to ask them to let up, go slow, absolve someone from the investigation. That's as close as you can get to the real thing. So what are the, if it is, what are the consequences? What could conceivably happen? <laughs> Somebody would have to bring charges against the president of the United States, right. correct? And the only people who could do that are... Is the Congress? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Essentially, that's yeah. I think that's the only path that we could really go forward realistically from here, because certainly the Justice Department isn't going to charge the president with something. Jeff Sessions is not going to do it. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. But it will be interesting. I mean, but you know, this is Nixon. I mean, this does get the shades of Watergate, right? I mean, when remember Barry Goldwater went to the White House and told Nixon, "Listen, I got to tell you, there are enough votes there, including Republicans." Mm-hmm. To impeach you, hmm. so you you better just get out of here. But have we got to that point yet with no. Congress? No. <laughs> I no. think that I mean the defense. You know, it's it's sort of this awkward scenario. I think. Are we on the path? To are that? we on the path? I mean, potentially. I mean, it depends what more comes out. If that memo comes out, you know, I think we're this last night was, I think, a real tipping point, sort of in this situation where. I mean, I it saw really one... did feel like last night we yeah. we turned a corner because yeah. I think no. that. Like, there has been some defense and water carrying <laughs> up to this point, but, like, the Jason Chaffetz letter, I think, is a huge deal, mm-hmm. a really, really big deal. Yeah. Because that is the first sign that Republicans are going to say, we're going to seriously take a look at this guy. Right. And, and that, I think, is what changes everything. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I would just like to... <laughs> 
to point out this morning while MSNBC and CNN are talking about the Comey <laughs> matter, uh, Fox News is talking about the Miss USA contest. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, just, just to put things in, in context. Um, <laughs> back, back to this. The other thing, uh, we, we, will, we will see the memo. I'm no, I have no doubt about that. Uh, will we hear the tapes? And are there any tapes? <laughs> The White House That's, still hasn't that been clear. Would, that on would that. be one way to find out who's really telling the truth, correct? That would, but you know, though, unless they doctor the tape, they haven't are... been clear on that. But I mean, like you know, testimony from. I mean, James Comey, say what you will about him, never been accused of being this massive con artist or liar. Like right. it, this yeah. is this is what yeah. happened. I mean, there's there's no reason to doubt what he wrote in that contemporaneous memo at the time. I mean, it's something that happened, and he immediately recorded afterwards. There's. I don't think there's any real reasonable doubt in that situation because it's I mean, that would be accepted by a court as testimony. It's coming from, you know, an FBI agent that would be accepted basically and generally as fact. I mean, that would there shouldn't be a reason to question really too much uh, what basically Comey is laying out in that letter. Yeah. I, now, back to the point we were making, I saw one headline last night. I forget now who wrote this story, but it was um, Trump. Why Trump cannot will not survive the Comey memo. Mm hmm. Now, again, I think that's maybe making too big of a leap right now, mm -hmm. but it certainly puts us on the path toward Congress demanding to see the letter. Congress definitely bringing Comey up to testify publicly about it, mm -hmm. and it pits it will pit, I believe, soon yeah. the director, former director of the FBI, against the president of the United States to find out who's telling the truth. Yeah. And, I mean, and in that case, I would bet on, I'll bet on Comey. Yeah. And I, I mean, bet have, the ranch on Comey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> having Comey outside of, you know, sort of the tent pissing in is also not a great scenario for them. It was probably better to keep him around. I mean, this Absolutely. would not have come out of the, you know, we no. wouldn't have heard about this. But no. he's got a lot of loyalists in the FBI and who are, you know, upset, wrong, you know, the White House suggested incorrectly that he didn't have a lot of support by the rank and file FBI agents. Not true. It, uh, yeah. On the unlikely scenario that Donald Trump would ever in his life regret anything because he's such an egomaniac, right? He does, he never makes a mistake. But if on the, un, in that unlikely scenario, he would ever regret anything, he will regret firing James Comey. By the way, the Trump, uh, this is from Politico this morning. Trump aides believe that Trump's uh, letter saying Comey declared him innocent three times and that the mm, I may have mm. tapes tweet, they now believe and admit that that might have hurt him. I tell you what, man, you can't get anything past those Trump aides, man. They are just yeah. on top of it, sharp as a tack. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you think that might have hurt him? I'm telling you, I think of these guys every day. I can't help it. Of the guys back of the elephant in the parade, cleaning up the poop, right? Yeah. Sweeping up the poop. That's Sean Spicer's job. That's all of that. Well, I mean, they also want to probably need to feel like they're playing some sort of role in the scenario because basically what happened, there are, they are. They're playing cleanup a lot of the yeah. time. The, you know, I, there was some reporting that apparently their game plan was based upon their anticipation that Trump would tweet something crazy the next day. And they had to, like, factor that in in their game plan for one of these nights of response, you know. I, I'm shocked. Trump hasn't tweeted yet this morning. Yeah. As of as of seven forty five a.m. Eastern time, which is also how you know we might be at a tipping point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah seriously. When, when the White House counsel is coming in and like taking his phone, phone away, and yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, given these circumstances, who the hell would want to be the next director of the FBI, and how is that going? So, John Cornyn has taken his name out of consideration. Yeah. Um, Merrick Garland, that was a stupid idea, that yeah. Merrick Garland would stoop that low to take that job after the way they handled him last year. 
uh, he has said, no, forget about it. Where, what are you here? Where are they going? Well, I mean, they had some interviews over uh, the weekend. It is yeah. difficult to find yeah. someone. But, I mean, the other situation here is that uh, Rod Rosenstein, um, Stein, uh, rather, I <laughs> <laughs> mess it up every time. Um, he's in a situation where essentially he wrote this memo that says that the FBI isn't going to be able to regain public trust and congressional trust until it has a director who basically acknowledges that the FBI mishandled uh, the rollout of the Clinton investigation. Um, that puts that puts the administration in sort of an awkward spot because he's involved very, uh, you know, he's a key player along with Jeff Sessions in deciding who the new FBI director is. And if he picks someone who is going to go up and say, you know, a Republican, who a lot of Republicans are on the record saying that the FBI went too light on Hillary Clinton. If he picks someone in that scenario, I mean, the hypocrite charge is just like too easy to make. So I don't think that he can pick someone who believes that it was fine, that the FBI was it was fine what Jim Comey did. Well, it raises two questions. First of all, why did Rosenstein write that memo in the first place? I mean, giving them the fig leaf that they discarded the next day anyhow. I, I mean, think he, I think he did believe it. And there are hints of that in his testimony. I mean, it completely goes against what, you know, the real reason for the firing. But yeah. I think what he wrote in the actual memo, he honestly believes. because That, that he, Comey violated procedures, right. if you will. Which right. he did. I mean, which there's he, no I arguing he, there. Which yeah. I, I do. I believe it. But that's not why the White House wanted him out of there. Right. But it was a good, it was a handy excuse. But I mean, you know, you look but back at his- he gave them that phony excuse. Again, he to, maybe to his relief, uh, after they tried to blame it on him for one day, the mm-hmm. next day they finally said, no, nah, we didn't like him. He was a showboat or right, you know, grandstanding and that Russian thing. That's why we <laughs> fired him. Right. I mean, I mean, I think the memo did in terms of public and congressional trust. That actually was probably kind of true that it was going to be tough for them to regain, you know, the trust. Certainly. I mean, but the, on the other hand, if the if they come out and say, no, we we mishandled the Clinton investigation in terms of the rollout, like we should have went softer on it, that they're not going to regain the other half of public and congressional trust. Really. And why does Jeff Sessions have anything to do with the, why should he with the firing of one FBI director and the hiring of a new one when he personally said he, he recused himself right. from anything having to do with the Russian investigation? I think the argument would be that he, you know, that the FBI director's job goes far beyond the Russian investigation, and it does. Um, so that's sort of a, one of those tough calls. That's We're sort talking of, about you know, a fig leaf. Yeah, on the line a little bit there, but... Um, yeah, I mean, the FBI director does a lot of things that will go beyond this. And this is going to be a 10-year term that we're basically setting the reset button. And whoever Donald Trump picks is going to be in there for the next decade. But Jeff Sessions did say, I will have nothing to do with this Russian investigation because I met with Kislyak on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. And now to fire the guy who's in charge of the investigation and then to hire the guy who will be ostensibly the head, the new head of the investigation, Yeah, certainly, I think crosses the line. Yeah. And one of the real questions to me also is that, you know, now that we know this memo, the timing for that, that came out after Jeff Sessions was confirmed as attorney general, but before he had formally recused. So a big question to me is, did he receive a copy of that memo? Not clear from the Times reporting so far. Um, Mm. So, I mean, that's a that's a big question there. And I think that could play into sort of what role he's going to play going forward. Uh, A setback for Sessions. Sessions is trying on many fronts to roll back a lot of the progress, I believe, that was made under the Obama administration. Um, He certainly is no fan of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, He was not in the United States Senate, and he's been very supportive of efforts by states to impede uh, the right to vote and make it more difficult for people to vote. But the decision by the Supreme Court 
um, not to hear North Carolina's appeal, um, a setback for, for Trump and Sessions in the voting rights area, correct? I think to a certain extent, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I don't think that we're going to – yeah, we're definitely not going to see as aggressive as of uh, uh, voting rights um, cases as we did during the uh, Obama administration. I don't think that's a high priority for them. And also there there could be a question of what the Justice Department is going to do in terms of you know, allegations of voter fraud because that's something that the president's very interested in. That's something that he created this task force to sort of look at and go after um, – that could be, you know, we could see a return to some of the policies of the Bush administration where they're sort of, you know, digging and really going down to find any case that they possibly could that would uh, connect to voter fraud, no matter right. how difficult it was. Uh, yeah. And in North Carolina, the Supreme Court uh, or the the appellate court down there discovered, I mean, they, they pointed out in their ruling, which, again, the Supreme Court said they would not even contest, that there was not one one proven case of voter fraud in the entire state of of North Carolina. Yeah. But Jeff Sessions also last Friday came out with some new rulings for um, – the way I in, I, I'd be interested in your take is that he basically wants to go back to mandatory sentences, giving prosecutors the right to uh, – or the authority, I guess, to yeah. pursue any crime and slap the most the – long, cause the, mo- the most severe sentence they could on even nonviolent crimes. Yeah. This sort of goes back to the uh, John Ashcroft. And John Ashcroft came out with this policy that um, prosecutors should go after the the highest charge possible whenever they possibly could, whenever that was justified. So basically going as hard against a uh, person as you can. Um, and that's sort of what we're returning to at this point because, you know, when you had the Obama administration come in, you had a policy by former Attorney General Holder um, essentially saying that, you know, find the most just sort of path to take. And that didn't mean triggering these sentences. And usually what it is in terms of the sentences, it says, okay, you put the the quantity of, of drugs, drug cases are the, where this right. most relates yeah. to. And yeah. if you attach the quantity of drugs in a lot of these cases, you're automatically triggering a, you know, a mandatory minimum sentence. And you're not giving the judge a lot of um, leeway, no leeway really in terms of what the sentence is going to be. Well, it was just, it was, it was not even a year ago that there was all this talk about Bipartisan support, even the Koch brothers were supportive of criminal justice reform, which would get rid of the mandatory minimum sentences. Yeah. You know, I had one um, one person who works in this space sort of tell me that, you know, had it been any other uh, attorney general other than Jeff Sessions, I mean, this would be a sort of a different case because, I mean, had it been any different nominee, nominee from Donald Trump, it would be in a whole different area because a lot there are a lot of Republicans and a lot of them were presidential candidates who, who did sort of have a more nuanced view of this. Um, but, you know, I think that... You have Trump a little bit from a, a different, and certainly Jeff Sessions, when he was coming up as uh, a U.S. attorney, it was in the midst, middle of the 80s. I mean, this was, you know, the middle of the drug war. So his policies sort of are very related to that and might not, you know, realize where we are necessarily today. Well, I spoke with a member of Congress yesterday who was raising the question of whether or not, even, does Sessions have the authority to do this unilaterally? Isn't this something that that would require uh an act of Congress? Not necessarily because the law authorizes it, right? It was a sort of a d- prosecutorial discretion call. Um, if the law authorizes you to go after it, it doesn't say that, you know, oh, well, you have to look at the nuance of this case. And, you know, the law is the law. So it was more of a matter of the, uh, the Obama administration deciding that it's not really just in the scenario to pursue what might trigger a mandatory minimum or the most aggressive posture in this case. Yeah. I, I, it, this is a huge issue. And remember, I mean, 
the, the racial implications of this are huge and not, and and maybe not talked about not talked about as much as they should but yeah. clearly most of these mandatory minimum sentences are going to young black men mm-hmm. who are users maybe mm-hmm. or some of them dealers but first offense marijuana offense and they're what getting 10 15 years or more yeah and I think what uh, what sometimes a lot of people don't understand about it is that it's you know it's a matter the conspiracy I mean, charge is really what gets you right. So it's not a matter of how many drug if you're a dealer. It's not a matter of how many drugs you individually sold. It's how many drugs the entire conspiracy sold. So it's if you're even if, you know they say it's not the pushback from the uh, Justice Department has been that it's not going after these sort of low level dealers. But in reality, a lot of them are going to get pulled into these cases with conspiracies and say, well, the entire conspiracy had this much. Uh, you know, this much drugs involved, which means you're sort of responsible for that whole thing. I saw that. That's crazy. No, it is crazy. It's so so off base. And you're destroying lives. I mean, I saw Rand Paul said something about this yesterday saying, you know, the the goal here, right, is to to have justice, not to be destroying lives or to do the right thing, not to be destroying lives. And and this is the, 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 the system, the Jeff Sessions approach really has there's nothing retributive about it or nothing redeeming about it right it's all just pure put them away as long as we can yeah it's definitely going to be for the least offense yeah it's definitely going to be a different approach and i mean we had it for the first time we had a shrinkage in the uh you know size of the federal prison population which you know overall in terms of the overall u.s prison population it's only a you know fraction really of it but that was that was a reversal of trends that we had seen going for decades now, really. So that's going to be a real change. Uh, And hasn't uh, Sessions also indicated that he's going to uh, reverse the um, previous administration's willingness to let states do what they want on marijuana, recreational marijuana, without interfering? That's sort of up in the air, I think, right now. I think um, it's really a matter of resources. The federal government, you know, Despite, despite being the large federal government that it is, uh, isn't really capable of prosecuting sort of these low-level cases in a lot of states. Um, I do think there could be some sort of policy changes in terms of uh, maybe tax issues and that sort of thing. And, you know, they're certainly going to go aggressively against anyone who goes over state borders um, with marijuana because that's, I mean, that's what's happening right now is a lot of states, it's coming in from states where it's legal, it's going to um, states where it's uh, not. So, I think that we could see some changes there, but frankly, you know, the DEA isn't large enough to sort of take that on in addition to fighting all of the issues. He's certainly, you know, not a proponent of marijuana to any extent, um, but I I don't think it's, you know, at the level of sort of freak out in the marijuana industry isn't at a 10 quite yet, I don't think. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I mean, but the idea that, that uh, you you could have, um, I think if, if Sessions had his way, he would have federal agents swooping into Colorado yeah. and Washington State and California, wherever, and D.C. Right, right here in the district. Right. Um, but you're right. Maybe maybe that's one case where we're. And perhaps we're, we'll see a pr- approach where you know federal grants might come into play there. That's something that they could also sort of pursue because that's what that's the approach that they're taking uh, in states that they do disagree with their immigration policies. Um, sanctuary cities. Yeah. Uh, another priority for Jeff Sessions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> t- taking their money away and again. Um, getting local, trying to get local law enforcement to, to, uh, to, to follow the, the Trump administration's rulings rather than what the, the their local officials want to do. Right. 
uh, any what Miami so far is the only city that I know of that's reversed it or have any others? I think a lot of them are going to stand sort of strong. We had there was a press conference a few weeks ago after they had met a lot of the mayors had met with uh, the attorney general and you know basically laid out their case. I think that they the I mean the law sort of is seems to be on their side as well because the real limits are pretty restricted um, on um, what exactly the federal government can actually make sort of cities do. And basically, you can't have a policy that prevents people from talking to uh, federal immigration authorities, but that doesn't mean that they have to proactively sort of work with them. There's a difference there. Yeah. And you talk about this is also a case, I think, where resources come resources come right. into play. I mean, to what extent can the, can the feds, you know, send people into every sanctuary city uh, and take over the work of local law enforcement? It's going to be difficult, if yeah. If local law enforcement is not going to cooperate with them, they can't, I don't see how they can force them into it. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, this... You, man, you you got a full plate these <laughs> I days, do. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jeff Sessions is going to keep you busy 24-7. Anyhow, That's true. But yeah. you keep up with us as best you can and then come in and share it with us, Ryan Riley. Sounds Great good. to see you. It is HuffPost.com's Congressman Dan Kildee coming up next. Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? It is Wednesday, May 17. Yes, we are live. It is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you. Coast to coast, we're uh, ready to dig into all the news of the day. And as usual, there's a lot of it, a lot to talk about. Um, and I'm telling you, you, you got to run fast to keep up with the news these days. And uh, we have decided, you know, normally on the, uh, on the Bill Press Show, it's about 5 o'clock the afternoon before that we have a little conference call and... Kind of put the show together, and here's what we're going to talk about. And every damn day, <laughs> we get all set, and then the changes. There's some new blockbuster that happens uh, after after our conference call. So from now on, we're just going to forget about any preparation for the show. All right. <laughs> just go with it. All right. It's as hard for us to keep up with the news as it is the members of Congress. Uh, and one of our great friends from down the street here, Congressman Dan Kildee, joins us in studio from the great state of Michigan. Congressman, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. How about it? Huh? It's getting hot in Washington. Dude, Boy, is it it's going to be above 90 today. Oh, I, that's not what I was oh, talking oh, about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> fair. Totally fair. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you, uh, uh, out to dinner in the uh, neighborhood uh, yesterday, and I was walking by uh, uh, a certain restaurant called Alberto's, and and I said to my wife, um, was he there? Carol, walking by, gosh, <laughs> I wonder where John Boehner is these days. And damn it, if he wasn't sitting was right he there. there. Yes, he was. And I just had to say, Mr. Speaker, 
Welcome back to the neighborhood. He says, what do you mean? I live right down the street. Anyhow, I imagine he looked relaxed. I, I so I said to him, hey, John, let's off the record, right? Aren't you glad you're not, not, you're not there right now? And he said, you bet. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was very relaxed. Yeah. Um, I believe that. It's out, a mess. Out in the neighborhood. <laughs> okay. You know, and the, the, there's so many angles of this. The thing we have to deal with is what's happening with the president. And this yeah. is serious. This is yeah. not fake news. This is not a contrivance. Republicans privately are absolutely yeah. petrified of what's happening. You know, the real shame is that we've got real work to do, and there is not any chance, unless yeah. we get this behind us some way or somehow, that we're going to have any real chance to, to do real important yep. things. Yep. I want to get into that with you. I wanted to ask you that that, that, that question right, right off the top. Uh, Congressman Dan Kildee here with us. News of the day, but first... Big headlines, really. Full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. There is a new number one, a new favorite burger chain in America. A new Equitrend study took a look at the best burger chain in America. Any guesses? Yes. Shake right. Shack. Five Guys. Five Guys is number one. Whoa. Five Guys is number one. Now, this All is right. a big deal because... For years, the last three years, as a matter of fact, In-N-Out has been the number one best favorite burger chain in America. Today, Five Guys is number one. Jamie, you said Shake Shack. Shake Shack is number three on the list. So that's that's a pretty impressive top three. Five Guys, In-N-Out, Shake Shack. I agree with that. Number four on the list, Wendy's. Really? Yeah, I'm not a big Wendy's guy. Whataburger also on the list. McDonald's comes in at number seven. Uh, Smash Burger at number nine. Steak and Shake is number ten. Well, my, my backyard grill. Number still, eleven. Still <laughs> <stay> number eleven. <Right. laughs> number 11. Right. That's still number one. By I, the way, right. <laughs> if we're being honest, I'm so proud of Five Guys. They're, yeah, that's a local chain. Started, yes, started, yeah, started, yeah. started right here, yeah. and they're they're damn good. They really are. They're little the little bacon cheeseburger mm, with fries. Man, I gotta tell you, I didn't realize Heaven. that. Uh, uh, it, uh, Five Guys now has 1,500 locations worldwide. Whoa. 1,500 locations. Wow. It started right here in D.C. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, uh, you That's know. Like 7,500 guys. <laughs> you know. That's right. That's the quick math. That's the quick math. Uh, by the way, one quick story. Congratulations to Chelsea Manning. Uh, she walked free from prison this oh. morning. Remember, Barack yeah, Obama yeah. commuted the sentence. Uh, she served seven years of a 35-year sentence to, for releasing military uh-huh. to WikiLeaks. She is a free woman as of this morning. So today was the day. That was the day. Yeah. The Ooh. irony. Yeah. yeah. There it is. Wow. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, May 17, welcome everybody to the Bill Press Show, coast to coast. We're looking at you on uh, YouTube, uh, coming at you, looking at you on Free Speech TV. Joining you on the great WCPT out in the Chicago area and uh, coast to coast uh, again on our video stream, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us. As we uh, bring you up to date on all the news of the day from our nation's capital uh, and uh, look forward to hearing from you as to what it all means, give us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Congressman Dan Kildee, representing Michigan's 5th Congressional District, a great friend here in studio with us. So, Congressman, we find out 
from a memo that James Comey wrote after a uh, White uh, Oval Office meeting with the President of the United States that the President asked him to drop the investigation into his administration, basically, and his team, uh, and instead go after journalists and put them in jail. Right. Yeah. Is this obstruction of justice? You know, I, the, I'm not a lawyer, but it's pretty obvious that what he was trying to do was put an end to an investigation for which there are clearly facts that warrant an investigation. So, you know, the question for us is, well, what standard do we apply here? Is it is it an abstract legal standard or is it the standard of, of logic? Um, you know, I think we're going to have to dig into this. One thing I will say, while I have had obvious differences with Mr. Comey, his reputation is one of a guy who who has engaged in this sort of thing in the past. He keeps copious notes. He tracks those things that he is engaged in. And I think in this case in particular, while we might not have appreciated a lot of his behavior, I don't think there's much doubt in in anyone's mind that as between James Comey and his notes and his record and Donald Trump and his record, I don't think there's much doubt about who's telling the truth here. So we have to we have to judge whether or not that rises to a standard where he's obstructing justice, and we'll get to that. Uh, and the burden on that, I think, shifts to the United States Congress, uh, sure. particularly to the Republicans who who now control both houses. Right? That's the real issue. Is that a lot of my you know constituents back home. Obviously, they're very upset about this. They're animated. They want us to initiate. You know, impeachment, for example, the word that many of us were careful not even to mention until just recently. That won't happen, obviously, until enough Republicans come to the conclusion that either A, their consciences have been, you know, have been, you know, affected so that they have to act, or maybe a more likely scenario. Their, their penchant towards self-preservation has been enacted. <laughs> and one way or the other, I think it will come to that yeah. at some point. What, what, what Privately, when you talk to them, what, 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 what's, what's their reaction? They're, they're petrified. Uh, not, and, and, you know, these are all mostly good people. We have yeah. differences, yeah. but they're mostly good people. Right. <laughs> like me, they're more concerned about the country. Like I'm, and, and I had a conversation with a, a Republican colleague last night, just a private conversation. And the idea that the president is about to engage in a foreign trip, visiting heads of state in sensitive parts of the world at a moment in time where his White House is in chaos, his, his veracity is clearly even more questionable now than it ever has been. He's already demonstrated a willingness uh, to disregard the national interest and our national security in order to sort of brag to Russians in the White House about the intel that he has access to and then reveal to them that intelligence. What exactly is the point of him taking off on this foreign trip? It's not good for our country. And and most, uh, the conversation I had with this member last night, most of the concern is, is where does this, where are we leading to? Well, what does this mean for our country? It's not good. No, fraught with peril, it this is. trip, I it believe. Yeah. So do you believe that Republicans will step up to the plate here and um, bring James Comey in to, to to learn the truth from James Comey? I think that's uh, inevitable. Subpoena, get a copy of this memo, if the, if subpoena if they have to? I think it's inevitable. I know that uh, Jason Chaffetz, of course, who's leaving at the end of this term or before, I've heard. Right. Um, he, he's 
stepping up and asking for more information. Uh, we're, we're hearing this from the Senate. I think John, uh, John McCain's comments were fairly pointed. It's just a matter of time before um, Republican leadership will step up and either be forced to or come to the conclusion themselves that they have to get this information out, even if they don't believe the same things we believe about Donald Trump. This goes to the point that I made earlier. If we don't get past this or through this, yeah. the country is at a standstill, and we can't afford to be. Right. There's just too much at stake. Uh, last night on CNN, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders and uh, Governor John Kasich uh, went at it, a little uh, duel um, put together by CNN. Uh, and Senator Sanders, just, just want to reflect, uh, sort of echoing the point that you made about um, we got other thing, other fish to fry, we if do. you will, that are important. Here's the senator. Let's get through this damn thing. And to do that, we need bipartisan efforts. We need to get to the truth. We need to see where the truth leads us. It may well be. You know what? It may well be that there was no collusion. And that's that. Let's end it. It may well be that there was collusion. Then we have to deal with that. But you said, let's get through it and let's get on to the agenda yeah. that we ought to be working on. And, you know, there are, It does really get in the way, it, doesn't it, of health care, tax reform, immigration or whatever completely in the way in a couple of ways. One, it's a distraction and it takes a lot of time and energy for members of the House, for the leadership, for the leadership in the House and Senate, both. But the other problem we have, of course, is that when there's when there are very serious questions about the capacity of this administration to function and about whether you can take anything they say at face value, how do you pursue a legislative agenda when there's a certain trust that has to be a part of that conversation. Healthcare is a good example. Taxes, another good example. You know, infrastructure, the thing that everybody talks about but nobody ever does anything about. It's kind of like the weather, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> for us to be able to engage on these questions, you have to have someone, somebody, give me one person at the White House that we can have a conversation with and we can know that it's going to be truthful. They may even think they're telling the truth because the president told them something that was not correct. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just in the way. And, and these big questions go unanswered. And it's not like they get better because we're leaving these problems alone. They get worse. Right. Uh, I mean, no, it, we've seen so many cases where, uh, and going to the briefings, I see it every day where Sean Spicer will say one thing, you know, this is what I'm sure they huddled. This is our message today. Reince Priebus, they all agree this is a message. Sean Spicer goes out and delivers it. And either later that day or the next morning, Donald Trump tweets out right. the exact opposite. Right. Yeah. I mean, he had his national security advisor out there saying something, and the next morning he completely undercut him. Totally. So, yeah. So that's the other. Uh, we talked, started talking about the Comey memo. Uh, the other bombshell this week, of course, is Donald Trump meeting with the Russian ambassador and the Russian foreign minister in the Oval Office uh, and sharing top-secret intelligence with them. Um, with no U.S. press, although... By, right. By the way, I just want to point out, because this, this broke this morning in Moscow, oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> Putin has said oh. that Russia is willing to hand over to the United States Congress and Senate records of Trump's talks with Lavrov. So they have a record of the conversation. This is great. We don't. So the Kremlin knows more about what Donald Trump is doing in the Oval Office yeah. than we do. Yes. That's great. Yeah. That's really what it means. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and you again, know, maybe it's because that's where much of the decisions, well, many of the decisions are made. Who knows? But also, it's kind of a pathetic observation, really. You know? Uh, yeah. It was Putin who suggested this meeting. Right. That said to John Trump, I think it would be a good idea if you invited Lavrov into the Oval Office. Uh, John McCain had something pertinent to say about that, if, we, if we've got that, uh, Jamie, yesterday, about what, what the hell they're even doing in the Oval Office. Here's McCain. Russians use precision weapons to kill innocent women and children uh, in, Aleppo, uh, in hospitals in Aleppo. I, would, I, I cannot imagine why he would ever be allowed in the Oval Office. Good point. Yeah, it really is. It's... So he invites them in, doesn't invite any American press in, allows the Kremlin photographer in, and he's yucking it up with the photos, you know, yucking it up with Lavrov and Kislyak. Kislyak, right. Kislyak, the guy who started this whole mess in the first place. Who's, you know, a a, a material uh, individual in the whole investigation. The relationship between Kislyak and the U.S. government, uh, certainly Flynn. Flynn, Sessions, Kushner, the whole game. All of it. And there he is in the White House with no uh, U.S. press, and now... The, the the Kremlin is willing to release their much more detailed information about what took place than what the White House has been willing to provide anyone. What, what are the consequences? What is, what's the impact of the president of the United States sharing top secret intelligence with our adversary? It puts us at great risk because the fact that we get this intelligence is based on long-standing and trusted relationships with our allies. And in this case, we know it's Israel. That's been the, that's been the conclusion drawn, right? And so despite the differences that come and go between administrations, between political leadership, there have been long-standing practices of sharing intelligence on the basis of absolute trust, a trust that has really not been broken and that has been an important part of our national defense, the ability to get information that's critical and share information with other nations that might be critical to being able to defend ourselves. If a nation, and just let's just say Israel, just in the event that this was who it was, has a sense or understanding that they can no longer be assured that this vital information that they provide uh, will not be shared with an adversary, what is the likelihood that we're going to have that information delivered again, particularly when it's not that difficult to figure out where it came from. You know, they they talk about sources and uses, and this is a very intel kind of thing. But what it really means is protecting the people who are putting themselves at risk, at risk by collecting this information. These people are, are, these intelligence agents from, we presume, Israel, um, are on the ground inside of Syria, right? They're in really dangerous places. Yeah, yeah. And they're in, in greater danger now because of Donald Trump's. And they have connections with inside of ISIS, obviously, right. and they have people that. And and this whole, potentially at least, the whole right. thing is blown by Donald Trump's. It's pretty frightening, you know, reckless. Yeah, and we, well, we we have a child, we have a person with the mentality, and it's almost an insult to children to say that I know, <laughs> but with the with the a, a very rudimentary understanding of what government is. Uh, no real sense of anything beyond his own interests. I mean, everything, you think about it, you just watch him, everything is about Donald Trump. When we're talking about national security or this, it won't be long in any conversation with him 
that he'll start talking about the election and Hillary Clinton because mm-hmm. it's about him. It's about him somehow using every experience he has throughout his life to validate himself. So um, at, at our briefing yesterday uh, with uh, General McMasters, who, who uh, was sent out, they didn't even trust Sean Spicer to do it. They right. sent McMasters out. Um, that second clip there, Jamie, he th- th- this was – so he turns to leave. And his last comment is this, which to me was the lead of the whole thing. I mean, he buried the lead, as they say in the news business, uh, that his reasoning, and he even makes a joke of it, about why Donald Trump can't be held responsible. Here's uh, McMaster's. The president wasn't even aware you know, of where this information came from. He wasn't briefed on the source or method of the information either. So he says that, this wasn't something they planned to do. This wasn't something uh, strategically why it was important to get their assistance on this. We'll give them this and da 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 no. That he's just blabbing. Right. He's talking. It's a really important point because arguably, and it's only arguably, there are moments where the U.S. government, in a very deliberate fashion, determines that even though another nation may not be an ally, there are there's information that for tactical or strategic yeah, purposes right, we feel right. we must share. Right. And I suppose arguably that could be done in conversation between the president and you know a leader from that nation. That's not what happened here. Mm-mm. This is a guy who will say anything, who cannot control himself. Well, I think we already established that <laughs> last year. Yeah, uh, right. He has no impulse control. Um, and, you know, this is the president of the United States. This, this is, you know, many of us, of course, well, expected something like this, but never quite like 118 days of absolute chaos day after day after day. Another example of just how unfit this guy is to be in that position. Uh, and in his report about the, about the sharing of this intelligence, the Washington Post pointed out that to this point of McMaster's, the part of the problem is, that um, where the intelligence agencies used to prepare like a three, four, five, whatever, six-page memo, and this is what's going on, Donald Trump says, too no, long. that's too much for me. I want it all on one page, bullet points. Right. And he doesn't even read those. No. According to people at work with him in the Oval Office, he will not even read those because he believes he just knows everything, right? He has a coloring book understanding of government. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> God, yeah, give him the crayons fast right. or something. Uh, you, you, I, I've got to ask you this question. Time, is he going to last four years? I don't know, honestly. I, I, I did not allow myself to think that way until just a few days ago. To be yeah. honest with you, so I'm just kind of coming to terms with the possibility that, that somehow, one way or another, this might, this might end sooner than the next election. I was um, I, I was absolutely bracing for at least four years, probably eight years right. of Donald Trump when when this when he got elected. But the idea that he is so inept, it's not just that he's a bad politician, he has bad ideas, and he doesn't know how to get things done. He is just it's he's just the level of ineptitude it boggles the mind. It's ineptitude, which. Let's just argue that it's possible that we've had presidents that it might not have been, you know, completely in charge. Sure. But there was always the ability for his folks, you know, in other instances, to sort of manage things. I mean, you actually think about 
certainly not a person who was inept, who was quite ill, Woodrow Wilson, when he was when he was sick after he yeah. had what turned yeah. out to be strokes, they things were managed. In the case of Donald Trump, it's ineptitude and confidence at the same time. Yeah, and that's that's the concern. that is a deadly combination. Yeah. That is a deadly combination. You know, like just to drive that analogy home, we we talked often when we were on the air during the George Bush administration, George W. Bush. This is probably the worst president we've ever seen. George W. Bush hired smart, competent people yeah, he did. Yeah. to run things, right? Yeah. Whether their policies were out of line with what we believed in, which they were, they kept the government running. They knew how to not completely run into the ground. This is totally uncharted yeah. territory. Pretty frightening. Yeah. And he was he was a lot smarter than we gave him credit for. Yeah, I mean, sure. George, George yeah. Bush. Yeah. And certainly, well, in I'll retrospect, in exactly, re- <laughs> exactly, retrospect, President man, Einstein. And you made a point on the floor yesterday in your speech on, on the floor about this, that that, um, you know, how serious this is. I mean, this gets right to the, the whether or not this country is a safe under Donald Trump. As it was under Barack Obama, right? right? It is. You believe he's made us less safe. There's no question about it. When he reveals, you know, these important intelligence data, information that is used to keep us safe, and then you know increases the likelihood a that those collecting the data are at risk, but but b that our partners will be less willing to share that sort of information with us. The reason we get the information, the reason this intelligence is collected is to prevent things from happening that we never know about. Mm-hmm. You and I, right. we never know yeah. about it yeah. because right. they, they're able to interdict the activity, whatever it might be. We're less capable of doing that now as a result of his you know, absolutely thoughtless act. And, and this is where, and I think for, as a Democrat, we have to, I feel that we have to be really careful about, about this and put the interest of the country far ahead of any partisan gain. No one wins when this happens. You know, there's a certain um, element of sort of the political intelligentsia who are looking at this in terms of what it means for Democrats versus Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Let's forget about that for now. I mean, at some point in time, it'll all shake out, right? Right now, we have a president who's making us less safe. And I think in order for us to give space for Republicans to come to the to the right conclusion that they need to step up and act, we have to do what we can to make it uh, as apolitical as we possibly can. It's almost impossible to completely do that, but it's really important for us not to um, to think about the partisan political advantages or disadvantages for anyone that might come from this. Would you support a special prosecutor? In this well, I, I support an independent uh, commission. Mm. I, I am now beginning to come to the conclusion that a special prosecutor is going to have to be uh, uh, empowered only because it, it's fairly clear that the typical mechanisms within government are not going to have credibility in looking at mm-hmm. any criminal uh, violations. So, that, you know, the FBI, for example, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, so, yeah, I think if... Uh, if if everything I've seen in the last 48 hours... Uh, is corroborated. I don't see any alternative but to having a special prosecutor. Back to uh, Congressman Dan Kildee, uh, Michigan's fifth congressional district. Back to the work of the of the Congress. Is there with 
it just raises a big question mark, I guess, about ability to get anything done. What is, what is your take on where health care is right now? What What is the Senate likely to do? They're likely to produce a bill that's vastly different than the bill that the House passed. And, you know, of course, the hope is, is that if they come up with a bill, which who knows what the odds are, but it's going to be really tough for them to do it. It's likely that it will offend part of the really very tentative Republican majority that was put together to pass the yeah, House bill. Yeah, the one-vote margin. Yeah, right? and yeah. so it's if they're honest, they'll have to acknowledge that any bill that passes the Senate is unlikely to be able to pass the House unless Democrats are involved. So my hope is, I think a better-case scenario would be that the Senate does pass a bill, and it's dramatically different than what the House passed. So, if, for example, would may, might retain protection for people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Actually for starters, as Actually, opposed to say they right. do. Right. Yeah. And, and there are probably other elements that we'd want to, that the, the Senate's more the, likely those to put essential, in. Essential benefits. Essential benefits. For sure. Uh, I think the result then could be something that rarely happens, and that is that there's a belief that there's a standoff, that, uh, that we're going to sort of de-weaponize health care and turn our attention then to the only uh, alternative left, and that is to deal with the actual deficiencies in the Affordable Care Act and just fix those. Yeah. And, yeah. and do what Paul Ryan said was likely the case a few months ago after they failed to bring their bill to the floor in the first place, where he said, I guess the Affordable Care Act is going to be the law of the land for the foreseeable future. That's a paraphrase. If we can get to that point, now we're down to dealing with, you know, there are deficiencies, certainly in the individual market, which is 6% yeah, of the market. Yeah, there there yeah. are real problems. In those places, in those states where there's no competition, we have ideas how to deal with that. Let people buy into Medicare, for example. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you, at least you know there's something for right. them, even right. if there's no competition. And if it's a national plan, you're going to have a very large pool. The pricing is likely to be much more attractive than it would be if it was a single insurer going into a market that's completely uncovered and they can charge whatever they want. So we have some ideas. It's not like Pub- know, I, public plan option. That's what it would be. And in yeah. fact, arguably, it would begin uh, to prove the efficacy of a single payer system. Of course, right? Yeah, that's where that's where I would land. But that's not where everybody lands. But it doesn't mean you can't do this. Even even Donald Trump said that Australia has a he better did. plan, <laughs> a better plan than we do. Bernie could hardly <laughs> contain himself. I when know. He saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking while you were talking back to the. I remember in the Clinton days, and I think they were talking. I even forget the issue. Was it affirmative action, maybe, or something? But they came up with a phrase: "Mend it." Don't end. Oh right! Remember, I remember that. Yeah, but that's the idea here with with Obamacare, the the Voting Rights Act, or I don't know what it was, but it was something. Mend it, don't end it. Yeah, Yeah. you know, and that's the thing with Obamacare. We all recognize, you know, that there are deficiencies in the program. We all know there are ways of making it better, and and uh, every Democrat I've talked to is ready to right now sit down with Republicans if you you want to go in that direction of fixing Obamacare. We're with you, and I think it's worth. It's worthwhile taking note of how far we've come in the last, say, half decade or decade. The idea that the Republican-led Congress with a Republican president is twisting itself around this question as to whether 
pre-existing conditions can be covered with what they're proposing. That universal access is a, is a national interest. That essential yeah. benefits are a serious question. We ought to make sure that they're available. That you ought not be subject to lifetime caps or priced out of the market. Think about where we were just a few years ago and right. where we are right now. This issue has evolved in a way that um, that will clearly affect whatever outcome we, uh, we, we land upon. But the country is, has moved to the point where this conversation potentially about real universal coverage feels and sounds a lot different than it did yeah. just a few years yeah. ago. No, it's, it's, it's enormous progress yeah. to the point where I think people do, most Americans accept that health care is a right, not a privilege. Right. And I think that people who want to see it happen, you know, like maybe Barack Obama wanted to see it happen, but Obamacare exists because he wanted to try and thread the needle right. and get some Republican support and try and convince Republicans that this will help them. Now, get move on from that. Don't try and compromise. If you want it, you got to fight for it, and that's it, except right. nothing less. Because right. you're not going to bring the other side. You're not going to find that common ground. And what we end up with is Obamacare, which has some flaws. It well, does have some flaws. Well, Congressman, it's always great to see you. And I, I just want to assure you of one thing that uh, I think we all know, that if you were to come back in tomorrow morning, we'd have another crisis. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we would have another crisis to talk about. So uh, <laughs> i gotta get, I got to get a third phone for all the texts and messages that are coming in. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for fighting a good fight. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. All right. See you again soon. Tom LoBianco from CNN uh, joins us coming up next. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I think this, this is a sad day, and it's a sad period. Uh, the American people want us to focus on the real issues impacting them. Why 28 million people have no health insurance, why the middle class is in decline, why we have massive levels of income and wealth inequality. And here we are today dealing with what we have to deal with. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? It is hard keeping up with the news coming out of Washington, D.C., one, one bombshell after another, but uh, we're running fast to keep up with it uh, and share it all with you. The Bill Press Show on this Wednesday, May 17. Thanks so much for joining us. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., brought to you today by Amalgamated Bank. Uh, you progressives out there looking for a bank you can be proud to be associated with, check out Amalgamated for almost a century now. They've been the bank of choice for progressive organization and individuals nationwide. You too, no matter where you live, can bank at Amalgamated Bank, amalgamatedbank.com. Yes, indeed. Speaking of fake news, oh my, look who's here. <laughs> Nobody gets accused of fake news more than CNN. Uh, I say that as a CNN regular myself. Tom LoBianco, political reporter for CNN, good friend of the program, jumping in to, uh, to join us this morning. Hey, Tom, good to see you. I'm not actually here right now. That's, that's fake. Is that, oh, yeah. <laughs> the hologram of Tom LoBianco is in the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but only if it's Tupac hologram. That's it. Right. Demand quality. That's it. That's right. <laughs> so CNN under fire uh, for sure. I saw uh, yesterday our good friend uh, Jeffrey Tubin. I said mm-hmm. I always thought it's one of the best legal minds, one of the best minds period of legal minds certainly in the country. Uh, as soon as news broke of um, the Comey memo last night uh, that uh, the New York Times breaking that James Comey came back from a meeting with uh, Donald Trump on February 14 in the Oval Office where Donald Trump asked him to drop the uh, FBI investigation. Comey writes up this memo. Uh, and when the word of that memo broke last night, Jeffrey Tubin said three words, obstruction of justice. That was that. That's what everyone was saying around the Capitol. I, I was mean, going to say, what, what response are you hearing around the Capitol from that? We were. Uh, I was sitting at the uh, the House Visitor Center, uh, <laughs> waiting on Pompeo to walk out of the briefing with the House Intelligence Committee, where they're going oh. over the disaster that was 24 hours prior, right? And you know, 24 hours is a long life in, you know, right in around, this administration, right? So 24 hours time. prior, the other bomb was, was the the Trump Russia meeting, Trump where Russia you know meeting. you disclose this this uh, classified information, highly sensitive information, and I just look at my phone, and I see this alert, and I was like, shit, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just know, you just know everything that you were working on just got just knocked to hell. Yeah, and it's like, all right, well, let's deal with this one, <laughs> right? <laughs> so do you, now you have a different set of questions from members of Congress. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, and with their reaction, Republicans and Democrats. Well, the Democrats are obviously, and you and you want to be clear here too. You know, at, at that time, you know, everyone's still digesting it as it's happening. Right, this is yeah. in the hour yeah. after it's reported, so all of it comes with the caveat if it's true. All right. So you had um, uh, uh, Leader Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi. You had uh, Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the Intelligence uh, Committee, a number of others saying uh, this looks like obstruction of justice if it turns out to be true. All right. Um, Republicans were not saying that. Okay, But what Republicans were saying, which is very interesting. Now, remember last week when uh, Comey was fired. And that was only a week ago. Last week, when Comey was fired, uh, it took 24 hours for Paul Ryan to respond to this, okay, to figure out how he was going to, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't take 24 hours yesterday. It did take a few hours. And the, the response from the Republican leadership here is, okay, we're not going to say obstruction of justice. We're not going to say anything like that. No, we want to see uh, the documents. We want to see these memos uh, from Comey. And that's kind of important, too, because that, that shows a, a, a serious shift by them. And it shows you can't just bat this thing away. All right, This one is too big. Uh, and, you know, look, we, we sit here every other yeah. day, you know, and, and say each one is bigger than the last one. But this one is too big. Right. Now, this really did feel like th- this is a big, big oh, yeah. deal. This was the first time, like I said this earlier, uh, Trump can get away with a lot, as he has right. admitted. He could get away with shooting somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. This is not something I think he's going to. I mean, he, this might not bring him down, bring him down, but this is going to create a lot of heat for him. Right. A you, lot of heat. Right. So you mentioned reaction from uh, Republicans, um, and the sound here is not the best, but 
Jason Chaffetz, who is leaving but still is head of the Oversight Committee uh, and who has basically ignored all the problems and conflicts and uh, with the Trump administration so far. And everybody's saying, hey, you were so holding all these hearings on Hillary, right? Well, Why haven't fair, you done something about Flynn. He did get the Michael Flynn records. Yeah. Right. Where right. where Michael Flynn did not disclose those payments on the security clearance, which, you yeah. know, is potentially right. criminal. Good point. So, Good point. I mean, he, they did get that. So yesterday, Jason Chaffetz steps up his response to this idea that uh, they're, they're, that that Comey has this memo, which none of us have seen yet. Here's Chaffetz. I want to read the memo first, but on the surface, that seems like an extraordinary um, use of influence to try to shut down an investigation being done by the FBI. I, I, I don't know if it's true yet, but I want to find out if that's actually out there. And he told reporters also, maybe you were there, that mm. he had his subpoena pen ready. Oh, yeah, yeah. He tweeted that last yeah, night. Yeah, right. Um, that that was interesting. So, I mean, that's a bold move, right, on his huh. part. I mean, that does represent, as you say, a big shift on the part of Republican leadership. Yeah, to be honest with you, I was kind of expecting him to hint that um, hint some doubt in what was said there, and he didn't do that in, no, that, in, that, no. in that comment there. Um, that's interesting. I, I mean, look, behind the scenes, what you know, what you hear uh, from uh, from members talking with each other is from the Republican members talking with each other is the concern. Okay, now <clears throat> the funny thing is, is that who's who's defending Trump in public right now on this one? It's the House Freedom Caucus. The Freedom mm-hmm. Caucus is out there ca- calling it fake news. All right, you got members the, like Louis Gomer the, of uh, of Texas. Yeah. All right. The the Comey memo they're calling fake yeah. news. Yeah. Which was uh, which was very interesting. It's not everybody doing that, but it's been a few of the Freedom Caucus members. I, you know, I think what was very fascinating about this, you know, look, last week when Comey got fired, uh, the first one of the first people to come out and defend the firing, based on the information that was presented, which turned out to apparently not be true, um, was Lindsey Graham, right? Yes, who said, yes. "Look, this is within the president's purview. He is the the leader of the executive. That's that's fine." Right. Um, we'd like some answers, but that's his that's his prerogative. Right. Um, so you didn't have I think the response today, we have so many scandals day to day. Right. So many bombshells being dropped day to day that we can now gauge them. Right. We can gauge the relative reactions of each one. We've had three yeah. monster stories in one week, in seven days. Yeah, firing, Each, firing of Comey. Right uh, now, the, the Trump the, Russia the, meeting. The Trump Russia meeting, and, and now the Comey memo. Yeah. Do you think that some of this is now cumulative? Cumulative that, like, it's just too much for these Republicans because, again, Paul Ryan and a lot of Republicans, when they did finally endorse Trump or say they were voting for Trump, it's part of the reason they did it is because they said, well, they're going to be able to hold him accountable. They'll be the ones to help hold him accountable should he be elected president. And so they, they've got to get tired of this. And yeah. and we're seeing Trump's approval rating go down. I mean, it's it's we, we don't know what it's looking like after the uh, this latest stuff with the Russia leaks and then the, the, the Comey Flynn stuff, uh, the obstruction of justice stuff. But I don't think it's going to be good for him. So yeah. is this just too much finally for the Republicans? Well, I, so I was I was chatting last night with an old Republican friend who you know worked with over the years and. 
um, he's you know this is I, I like I like talking with folks like this off the record because it, it provides you a good gauge of where people really are. Okay, um, I don't think the the broad mass of Republican politicians are at the point where Democrats think they are right now. I think there is serious concern. This is just my read from a, you know from like you know four hours or so in the four hours in the aftermath of that thing last night. Um, you know, I don't think they are as far as where Democrats think they are. Yeah. But yeah. they are not dismissing it now. Okay, so now what's stopping them? Right? What, what are the dynamics? Right? What are the you know the physical uh, you know tangible uh, pieces of po- politics in the way here? Right. One is eighty uh, percent. A plus 80% approval rating among the base for Trump, and which is a constant reminder for everyone, especially the House members who are within districts. And we're not talking about statewide. Statewide Senate, you can be more moderate. You know, you can you can game it out a little bit better. If you're in a district, it's a little bit harder. For the House members, they look at that and, you know, say Trump holds a rally, right, in their district. Yeah. Right. So that's a constant reminder of where their voters are, the people who put them there. OK. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, uh, um, can they can they uh, get their priorities through him? That's kind of the bigger thing. So that's the gamble. That's right? what this is really all about. Well, the gamble I is think. I mean, like that was always the gamble. Yeah. Right. Which is that, OK, look, this guy doesn't appear to know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's with us on X, Y, Z. All right. So, you know, let's see if he can do it. And he has a populist surge behind him. I mean, this is that's not it was it never wavered. All right. You know, it might not be the majority of Americans, but it was a large plurality and a, and a, and a, and a solid one. And you can't ignore that. Yeah. Um, but I think if they're putting all their faith in the Trump base, right? I mean, first of mm-hmm. all, how big is the Trump base? Uh, uh, it, you know, it's big, but it's not a majority. And, um, you know, his popularity, what is the latest poll, was 36%. Um, and I think, you know, it's and it's not going up. I mean, he did a missile strike against Syria, and his popularity is still not going well, up. Well, so, so look at the— look I mean, at if, how they, if they think they're going to hitch his yeah. wagon— to their star, I mean, or hitch their wagon right to his star, and that, and he's going to carry them through the midterm elections. These guys are dumber than I thought they were. Well, <laughs> well, look at the answer yesterday. And I think they'll come to that conclusion pretty soon. The answer yesterday is is I, I think was good strategy on their part. Okay, um, you, the the thing is is that when you when you look at it, and this is what I hear from Republicans behind the scenes is that they see Democratic hysteria. People, some some folks will refer to this as the birther issue for Democrats. Okay, mm-hmm. now clearly, you know, Russia meddling in the election is not the same as Obama's birth certificate because one we can prove and one we can disprove. All right, you know, so that's that's not on the, on the face of it, but the politics of it are similar, and the the effect on the base is similar. So they dismiss the hysteria. Okay. And there has been that. We've seen this rise of, you know, of alt-left figures, if you want to call them that, people who kind of traffic in rumors and and things are not not, verifiable. We're not talking rumors here. We're talking a president of the United States who is sharing intelligence with Russian officials in the Oval Office and lying about it. Right. We're talking about a president of the United States who asked the head of an investigation into his administration to shut down the investigation. 
This is not this is not alt left. This is not conspiracy. Right. These ones I mean, are solid. Exactly. So what the Republicans so are if doing Republicans here, think they can just wish this away and say, well, the base is still with Donald Trump. I mean, seriously, that's collective political suicide. I, I you know what? I think they see that. And I think so by saying what they did yesterday was they did not go after Trump and they said, we want answers from Comey. What this does is a few things. Right. As a strategy. Right. It buys them time. Okay, to to yeah. you know, these bombs are dropping left and right. Right. Okay. Who knows? Maybe we get another one at five p.m. today. What do you mean? Who knows? Of course we will. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Of course, I we half will. expected. I, all right. Yeah. Right. right. We're used you know. to it by now. Right. But but it buys them time to figure out strategically where they want to go with this. But the bigger thing is is that it gets them their own internal assessment of what's happening if they can read these Comey memos for themselves. There's a lot. I mean, you know, right or wrong, there's a deep skepticism among, you know, a lot of Republicans about the so-called mainstream media. Right. So, I mean, and, you know, look, they want to see this for themselves. And that's fine. Look, as a reporter, you know, if I was doing something independently, I would want to see the information firsthand for myself as well. Yeah, I want to I I want to see it, too. But I, I just also want to point out that every starting with. Even during the campaign, starting with David Farenholt and the uh, his reports on Russia, uh, t- Trump lying about how much money he'd given to the veterans or how much money he'd given to charity period. If you talk about that, if you talk about the, this this uh, uh, the the Russian meeting, if you talk about the the Flynn stuff, the meetings with Kislyak, all of this re- investigative reporting that we've seen, a lot of it, by the way, by your guys at CNN, our guys, yeah. I should say, at right. CNN, you know, right. Um, by the Washington Post, by the New York Times, so far, not one bit of it has been proven to be false. Right. Now, they can say all they want about fake news or about uh, you know, the mainstream media, but the White House, they, they have been able to, every, everything has been proven true. So uh, I, I think <laughs> right now, you know, the-, the but I just want to, can I just throw a, a, a bit of caution out there, and I've, I've said this to a few of my Democratic friends out there, you know, in, in the past. Be careful of the rise of this alt crap on the left too. Okay, we know what the alt right is. You know that's well defined. I don't okay? see any. I, I, I don't know where I you're coming from. I watch this stuff on Twitter. I don't. Not here. I don't give it. We're not in our not in our arena. Okay, no, not in I don't this give arena. A damn about some of those. And wackos. definitely not Peter. I would never accuse Peter of such a thing. No, but seriously, <laughs> I, I I think you're <laughs> exa- <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I think you're exaggerating the impact. I, I don't I don't give one damn minute's attention to that wackos on on the alt left, and I don't think they have any influence. The, the the work that's being done today again by the New York Times, by the Washington Post, by CNN, and by others is the best reporting I think we've seen since it Watergate. Is. It is and it's been absolutely freaking spot on. Our reporting Not is one excellent. thing has been has been wrong about it. I, I Jim Shudo at CNN, yes. yeah, dynamite. Yes. Jeffrey Tubin at CNN, dynamite. I will say, to your point, I'm sure that there are outsiders out there and outliers, and and they get on Twitter and they make their voices heard. But the big difference, I think, is that I haven't seen it influence any Democratic politicians or any yeah. Democratic policies. And that's the difference. That's I know, an excellent point. That That is the big difference I see. Because, look, the alt-right and the – I don't want to necessarily loop the Tea Party or Freedom Caucus and the alt-right right. in the same group, but they're cut from the same cloth. 
they really are influencing Republican politicians. They they really truly are, and I don't really see that on the left. That's a right. good point. That's an excellent. I mean, you don't so, have the the major nominee, the major party nominee. You don't have the president spouting. You know, in in this case, on the yeah. left, you don't have that person delivering that message for them. In another couple of years, if we have President Jill Stein, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we're on to something, but I don't think we're going to end up there. All right, did I, so did today, I see you at the vote recount in Michigan? And <laughs> what me, man? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so today, uh, an hour from now, Paul Ryan has summoned all of you, yes. congressional reporters, uh, to what? Change the subject? Well, that's, I mean, I th- our reporting and, you know, Phil Mattingly, Deirdre, uh, you know, our our whole team up there is saying that that's what they want to do, right? They want to push this to tax reform. I don't think you. I mean, I I think that's trying to move a mountain with one person. I, I don't I don't think that's possible. So Paul Ryan's going to say, "All right, we've done health care. Now we're going to tackle tax reform." Yeah. Right. And and really, everybody else consumed with this other stuff. Uh, that they're going to. Uh, I mean, I'll just tell you how I would ask the question. You know, Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, question on tax reform. Uh, do you believe the Comey memo? <laughs> yeah, good, good. Yeah, right. yeah. yes. Yeah, right. We've, I mean, we've all had this before, where they say Mike Pence used to do this when he was governor. He says, "Now, questions on on topic only, please." <laughs> mm-hmm. Right now, they all do this. Right, yeah. we've all seen this no, no, before. No. This one's too big. So no, yeah, Spicer. Spicer tries to do that at yeah. the White House, and it never works. No, yeah, nobody nobody buys into that. But first of all, the, there are two two problems here. Number one, the idea that you could address and shift attention to any other subject today is impossible. Yeah. Uh, certainly unlikely, I think impossible. But then the the other the idea that tax reform is going to be easy, right? That they could, like Paul Ryan's going to try to push this through the same way he pushed through health care. Who's he kidding? Right. I mean, compared to health care, as Donald Trump said, well, nobody's told me this was so complicated, right? <laughs> yeah. But compared to health care, tax reform is <laughs> many, many times more complicated. Now, I will say this, and this is sort of, I do worry about this as a reporter, you know, whether or not we you know, conflate things too often, you know, whether or not we're putting too much uh, into the surface level of everything that's happening. You know, um, uh, Rep Conway, who's now the leader of the Russia investigation, we were asking him about the Comey memo yesterday. And, yeah. And he, you know, he didn't want to comment on that, right? He didn't want to talk about he that. He took uh, Nunes' place. Huh? He did, exactly. Yeah. He was the one brought in when Nunes uh, went under yeah. investigation by the House Ethics Committee. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and you know, look, if you ask him directly uh, about what's about that, he says he don't want to talk about it because that's, you know, that could be under the purview of the committee. We're not going to get into that, okay? Um, but ask him about the effect of all this. Okay, what is the effect of scandal after scandal, you know, bombshell after bombshell? Um, is this knocking out the ability to do tax reform? And his answer is we can compartmentalize. He says, look, we, okay, yeah, that's true. This is taking a lot of attention, but we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And I think that's a fair point because, you know, if you're out in the speaker's lobby where all the members are talking with the reporters, okay, that your question is the Comey memo, okay? That world, that little sliver of a bubble, okay, is all about the fallout from this bombshell. And right. it is huge. Um, if you're in the chamber, that's a different world. People are still talking about it in, in there, inside the House chamber, 
but you can also you're also still working side deals on on whatever you know whatever legislation you're working on in there. So but, it's a good well, reminder. But there's another factor there, right? Which is the White House does play a role. Even though Congress passes the bill, the White House does play a role, particularly when the Republicans control both houses, in in that debate and in that shaping of that legislation into something that the White House can support and will sign. And if the White House is preoccupied with damage control, which they have been certainly for the last, well, 118 days almost, right? Uh, then that's a problem. That's a, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's yeah, that's a very good point. You so know, the, the so, partner in that dance is not dancing right now. Yeah. No, right. No, e- e- exactly. You just wonder um, what what Paul Ryan, who doesn't have that close, never did have that closer relationship with Donald Trump, right? Uh, he he's almost in. Not that I feel sorry for him, but almost in an impossible situation, right? You know some of this stuff that's going on at the White House he's not happy with. You know, in terms of, like, damage but assessment. But he can't say it publicly. Right. Damage control is built on damage assessment, right? You have to know what you're dealing with, right? And if you're Ryan or any of the other you know, major Republican leaders, you knew everything going up through the election, right? So you knew the, the realm yeah. of what was happening. And you tried to, right? That's the, the realm of what is 100% knowable. Here's what was not knowable. At that point, known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns, and all that crap, all right? Right, so here's what you couldn't know at that point. You couldn't know at that point that, according to Jim Comey, on February 13th, President Donald Trump would ask him to kill the investigation of yeah. Michael Flynn. Right. You, had, you couldn't have known that. No. And so they got to deal with this stuff, and they have to deal with it every day. And uh, Tom LoBianco, uh, we're at the time where we got to say goodbye, and you got to get back to work and get down the street here. Oh, no. To, uh, uh, Paul Ryan's <laughs> oh, big God. news conference. Hey, uh, thanks so much for coming in, Tom. CNN.com, of course. <laughs> have a great Wednesday, folks. Come back and see us tomorrow. This we'll be here. Looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, just when you think that things couldn't get any worse for Donald Trump on the firing of James Comey, along comes another bombshell. Yeah, of course, we can forget about that original White House argument that uh, Trump fired Comey because he mishandled the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Of course, Comey did, but that's not why he was fired. That weak explanation soon fell apart. When Donald Trump himself admitted that he didn't like Comey, uh, he called him a showboat, said he was grandstanding, and said he would have fired him anyway. Then we learned that Trump actually demanded a loyalty oath from Comey, which Comey refused. And now the latest bombshell, the New York Times, adding one more damning bit of news, according to a memo that Comey himself wrote after meeting with Donald Trump in the Oval Office on February 14, Trump actually asked Comey to shut down the FBI investigation and to let Michael Flynn off the hook. He's a good guy, Trump told Comey about Flynn. I hope you can let this go. And once again, Comey refused. The firing of James Comey, in other words, and shutting down this investigation was nothing less than an attempt at obstruction of justice by the President of the United States, which is far worse 
than anything that Bill Clinton ever did. And remember, Bill Clinton was impeached. And to the firing of James Comey, don't forget, add that the President of the United States actually handed secret intelligence information to the Russian ambassador in the Oval Office. Every day, in other words, there's one more reason to start impeachment hearings against Donald Trump. This is The Bill Press Show.